0: It's Dr. Ron Kaiser, and you know I'm all about wellness and all about prevention. And with that in mind, I'm happy to welcome the sponsor of this podcast, NutriSense. Do you know that your blood sugar levels can significantly impact upon how your body feels and functions? The NutriSense program lets you analyze in real time How your glucose levels respond to food, exercise, stress, and sleep. Here's how it works you wear a continuous glucose monitor that's called a biosensor, and you have an app on your phone, the NutriSense app, that helps you to scan your glucose levels, visualized data, log meals, run experiments, and much more. And then on top of that, you get expert dietitian guidance. Now, there are significant benefits from knowing your glucose level, and that can include weight loss if that's desired, stable energy throughout the day, better sleep, and understanding which foods are good for you. I personally have used the Nutrisense system, and I learned how making a few tweaks in the way that I eat has helped me to be more energetic and productive throughout the day, and especially to avoid that early afternoon slump that I know some of you share. So what I strongly encourage you to do is go to Nutrisense.io goal, G-O-A-L, And that's a special code for listeners to this program. You'll be able to both learn about the various subscription plans that NutriSense has, and it also enables you to enroll for one. And as a special gift to our listeners, if you use that sign-up code, you will get $30 off of a subscription plan as well as a month of free dietitian support. So that's nutrisense, N U T R I S E N S E dot I O slash goal, G O A L. Welcome to Rejuvenating with Dr. Ron Kaiser. This is the podcast designed to help you lead your life enthusiastically today, tomorrow, and every other day. I am your host, Ron Kaiser, positive health psychologist and coach also keynote and TEDx speaker, and also author of the triple award-winning book, Rejuvenating the Art and Science of Growing Older with Enthusiasm. My website is The Mental Health Gym. It's your source of all kinds of information regarding positive psychology, rejuvenating, goal-achieving psychology, which is my own brand of positive psychology, Uh, and all kinds of wellness-related things. It's also your place to communicate with me and to even suggest guests for future podcasts. As podcast listeners know, my hope is to always bring you individuals who lead their own lives enthusiastically, as well as helping us to become better versions of ourselves. And we have a very special guest in this regard today, and uh, I'd like to get into the introduction, but before I do that, I should point out that the uh, according to the National Coalition Against Domestic Violence, one in three four women, one in three of women, and one in four men have experienced physical violence by an intimate partner. Kind of a shocking number when you think about it. This extraordinarily uh, common form of abuse, silences victims and paralyzes them with fear. Now, our guest today, Amanda Lee, is a sixth grade teacher uh, who resides in Fairfax County, Virginia, but she's much more than that. Uh, Not that that's something uh, that's a small accomplishment, but Amanda is also the author of a book called One of the Lucky Ones, which documents her own life uh, with respect to domestic abuse and can help those among us who may be suffering from it, be suffering in silence, and may need to learn how to do something about it. Hopefully, we're talking about a minority of the audience, but again, the numbers are higher than most of us, probably suspected. And so really looking forward to finding out all about this issue and how we can become better equipped to deal with it and prevent it. And so, Amanda, it's a real pleasure to have you with us. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Great. Uh, So with our podcast, we cover a broad range of topics, but I think this is pretty unique to us. Uh, So I'd like you uh, perhaps to tell us a little bit about yourself before we even get into, you know, violence issues, Mm -hmm. uh, what the uh, problems were in your marriage and so on. So uh, tell us a little bit about you before before you became the subject of your own book.
1: (laughs) The subject that I never intended to be, yeah. Um, Well, thank you again for having me. I am, as you said, a sixth grade teacher in Fairfax County, Virginia, originally from Philadelphia. I started my career in Pennsylvania politics working as the assistant for the now soon-to-be governor of Pennsylvania. Decided politics wasn't for me and traveled down to Virginia, followed my now ex-husband, became a teacher. I have two beautiful children. Uh, Ethan is eight, Tessa is seven, so I have my hands full. And like you said, unfortunately, my marriage was not the fairy tale I had hoped it to be. In fact, it was more of a nightmare. And out of that, I turned lemons into lemonade and wrote a book hoping to help others.
0: Okay, well, I'm really glad that you got out of what obviously sounds like a lousy mm-hmm. situation, but mm-hmm. uh, how did you even get into it? I know uh, people don't get married with the expectation that it's going to turn into a nightmare. Uh, yeah, You know, some, sometimes we don't necessarily expect that it's going to be Great, but a nightmare is you don't have to get into a marriage to experience yeah. you know that kind of stuff.
1: Well, the thing with abuse is that it starts off slow, and you don't even realize half the time it's happening. I'm an independent, intelligent woman, and it was years before I realized what was actually happening. Before I actually came to terms with it, and it was it was slow. We would be we were dating, and he would say things like. Claiming he had told me things that he never did, which, you know, are normal conversations in a relationship. No, I told you about this. And it kept happening more and more to the point where I thought, maybe there's something wrong. Like, maybe I need to go get like a CAT scan of my brain. Like, there's got to be something wrong. And it's the slow put downs. It just slowly, gradually builds up, builds up. And the first instance of abuse was right after we got engaged. And when it happened, it was surreal. It was... I couldn't believe this was happening. And it's almost like that moment where you're like, that didn't actually happen. This isn't happening. It's got to be a one-time thing. And as the abuse builds and builds, the fear builds in of I'm stuck. I I can't leave. So it's not like it it happened. It was a a beautiful relationship. It happened overnight and I was being abused. It was a slow buildup to the point where the psychological abuse it took me years to even realize what was happening
0: so the psychological abuse came before physical abuse mm-hmm. the
1: psychological and verbal
0: abuse came before physical abuse and just the way you're describing it it sounds kind of dismal just in terms of I was trying to work it out in my own mind is there any point along the way where you could have said, hey, this, uh, before the physical abuse, where you could have said, hey, this isn't what I signed up for, uh, or is it just kind of happened that seemed relatively normal for a long period of time?
1: I don't know that it ever felt normal, but, you know, there's, there's a shame associated with being abused. Like, how could I allow this to happen to me? I'm an intelligent woman. I have two master's degrees. I'm, I'm, I'm from Philly. Like we don't take any crap. So the fact that the feeling of, I allowed this to happen to me is a big part of why you don't leave. There's fear, there's shame. There's having to recount this story to your parents. When I had to call my parents and tell them that for the past 10 years, I've been being abused. That was one of the hardest things I had to do it's just it's it's the buildup it's the the realization that you're not just watching the lifetime movies or the after school specials you, you've now become that
0: so I guess the next obvious question then is what enabled you to ultimately break that pattern and and to leave
1: I knew my children were younger and I could see traces of the verbal abuse, starting to happen to my son, the put downs. And I knew when it started, when he started targeting the children that I needed to get out, I didn't know how, I didn't know how I was going to get out. And it was August 3rd, 2019. And we had had a fight about my son because he had cursed at him about going to bed. And he threatened to kill me, chop up my body before the police showed up. And then he got a gas can and lighter and said he was going to burn the house down with us in it. And that's when I grabbed my children and left and called 911. And from that moment on, we've we've haven't been together. So my hand was forced. I didn't have a choice. It was die or get out. So at that moment, it was it, it was a matter of survival. It was the the adrenaline. It was, I'm running for my life with my children.
0: Well, in retrospect, was there something you wish you had done earlier? In other words, it looks—I mean, that's—you know, when when you're faced with survival, obviously, that's that's a pretty mm-hmm. pretty motivating factor, and and also, it, I think it's notable that. It happened relative to you know protecting your child rather than than yourself. Mm-hmm. But I'm wondering, you know, looking at it, is is there something? And I'm thinking about other people who may be listening and wondering, uh, you know, was there a time when getting out of out of the situation would have been less dramatic and safer for you, or do you think he would have kind of made those kind of threats whenever?
1: No, I think. The first moment of physical abuse happened shortly after we were engaged, and I think if I looking back, if I could have left then I should i I should have left then mm-hmm. we would have never been married, you know, never had that complication so that moment at times I wish I could turn back the clock and leave and I say at times because if I did turn back the clock and leave at that moment, I wouldn't have my children mm-hmm. so you know. Mm-hmm.
0: Understandable. Yeah. So now I've heard situations where people have returned to abusive situations Mm -hmm. or then refuse to testify against the abuser. So on. Once this happened, were you were you done once you made that decision or was there any second thinking about it?
1: No, there was never sec- a second thought. I, like I said at the time, I was looking for a way out. I just didn't know how I could safely get out. I also didn't know how to separate and still protect my children at the same time. And this forced my hand. There was never there was never a second second thought. Like this this was my open door and I was going to walk through it. I also knew once I told my friends and my family there was no turning back. I knew they were going to swoop in and help me and there was there was no turning back and I know that the st- statistically domestic violence victims go back to their abusers and part of that is the cycle of abuse is that you be- you believe that you can't function without them. You whether it's financially or just functioning in the world and I definitely had that for a number of years. I didn't believe that I could function without him. I, I'm completely sympathetic to any woman or man who's being abused and feels that they can't function without the abuser and that they continuously go back to them. You know, part of the other issue with going back to your abuser is the legal system is is not the best when it comes to prosecuting for domestic violence. I mean, my ex threatened to kill me and my children, and walked away with a slap on the wrist because it was his first offense. And I was told by the DA that there really wasn't a lot that they could do because it was first offense. So they gave me a piece of paper with a protective order for a year. And that was their solution.
0: And from a practical standpoint, was the message delivered? In other in other words, I'm trying to think in terms of, I have worked with, with patients who've been concerned, well, okay, I can walk away, but uh, I know about the, the legal system isn't always that friendly. You know, he can still find me. He can still do this. Mm-hmm. What Were you able to feel relatively free once you had
1: taken action uh, or? Oh, no. Mm-mm. No, that took years. No, he, um, the most dangerous point for a domestic violence victim is when you leave, right when you leave, when the abuser realizes they have no control over you anymore. And it was dangerous. He was stalking me. He somehow convinced one of my neighbors to gain access to one of their cameras that pointed at my driveway so he could monitor what was happening at our house 24 hours a day. Um, I felt very, very unsafe and called the police numerous times and was told for various reasons that there was really not a lot I could do.
0: Well, again, you should be real, real proud of yourself. Well, thank you. (laughs) One more step. What motivated you to write the book?
1: I had been told many times as I was going through it, like, you you should write a book. Like there's no way anyone's going to believe this actually happened. And one of my best friends was like, you know, if this was a lifetime movie, they wouldn't make it because it's just so far-fetched. Like no one believes this. All of this actually happened in the span of a year. And I just kind of always laughed it off. I'm a single mom working full-time. I was going for my second master's at the time. I'm like, I don't have time to write a book. Who has time to write a book? And I remember laying in bed one night thinking like, oh, I would name it. I would call it this chapter and I would do this and I would do that. And I sat down at my computer and it was just kind of, it just kind of poured out of me. It was so therapeutic. And I just wrote and wrote and wrote. And then when I was done, I was just like, okay, that's cute. And I put it aside. And then I had one of my friends read it and she was like, this is really good. Like you should hire an editor, a professional editor to like spruce it up. And I'm like, all right, fine. Like, yeah, maybe... I'll do that, and the kids can read it one day, and they can hear my side of the story. And then my editor that I had hired was like, "This is really good. Like, you really need to pursue publishing it," which led me to trying to find a publisher.
0: Okay, and I've read your book, which is obviously very good. But uh, I'm wondering uh, if you could kind of give a really short summary. We don't have either the time or the, yeah. <laughs> But a short summary, is it basically the history uh, or are there some principles that uh, there are teaching points or what what's the book about?
1: You know, it's my story. It's how I got into an abusive relationship and my escape from it. And the aftermath when I was going through it, when it first happened, I would stay awake at night and just I just wanted to know I was going to be okay. I just wanted someone to tell me that there was a light at the end of the tunnel and I was going to be okay. And the most I could find for reading material of a memoir about someone who was abused was um, Tina Turner's, which is very good. And I love Tina Turner, but I'm not a multi-million-dollar recording artist. I wanted someone that I knew that I could relate to, which also spurred me to write this book. I'm not... A famous person. I'm the average. I'm an average American, and this happened to me.
0: And I can imagine there are some parents of young children, as uh, females and males, since abuse can can occur mm-hmm. in both ways. Is there anything that you wish you? that you wish had been instilled in you or that there was any, is there anything that can prepare somebody to not get sucked into this kind of a, a, a domestic pattern?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I think, you know, I don't know that I ever was taught what a healthy relationship looks like, what a true partnership looks like, the the give and take, what it's it's not, okay for your partner to call you names and scream at you and and I'm by no means blaming my parents or or anybody but I think instilling what a healthy relationship is supposed to look like and feel like in in children
0: so that I guess the modeling of the parents and Mm -hmm. should they be taking time to discuss abuse do you think or is it uh Something that is almost, uh, I, I mean, there's this lousy the analogy, but uh, if somebody's eating healthy foods in their home, mm-hmm. you need to really spend a lot of time talking about why uh, why this uh, junk food is bad for you if you're, if you're not providing it. Uh, so, is it? I, I know what I'm trying to say. It may not be. Community. No,
1: I understand. And I'm thinking, and I, I don't know. I mean that the logical answer is yes of course but at the same time like I I remember in high school it was part of like the health course and we we talked about dating violence and you know I grew up in a time when ABC did the after school specials and it was they had um domestic violence specials and I watched them and saw the signs and and then I found myself in one I don't think talking about the the signs of what domestic violence looks like and what healthy relationships should look like I don't think there's any harm in that and I think it should be discussed openly. Um, I'm just saying it probably it I shouldn't say probably it not might not necessarily prevent the abuse happening
0: and uh, another question that probably doesn't have an obvious answer, but do you think if you'd have gotten out earlier, that you wouldn't have had to go through that much of a cycle, or do you think that basically because of his personality that uh, it would have been tough whenever you you did it you did it?
1: I think it would have been tough, no matter when I did it. I think because of the way it happens, he was forced to get help, mental health help, which has benefited. Him and our children tremendously, and our co-parenting relationship at this point. And I think if I had gotten out earlier, I don't know that he would have gotten the help that he needed. I don't know that he would have had to been made to internally look and see what he was doing to contribute to the downfall of our marriage.
0: So is there a a happy ending to this story? In other words, (laughs) is there uh kind of a good co-parenting relationship or personal relationship and uh you know how's he feel about being
1: the
0: the subject of a a book that
1: i don't know that he knows yet but um and if he does he hasn't said anything um no there is a happy ending we are great co-parents the kids are happy and healthy he sees them um every other weekend and on wednesday nights and in fact that we are at the time of this recording it is winter break so they are with him for a week and I'm in a healthy happy relationship
0: that's really good Uh, to hear
1: and I wrote a book so yes there's a happy ending
0: So, yeah, so it really fits in with our theme of living our lives enthusiastically, even Mm -hmm. if we get some interruptions in the process. Yeah, it certainly is is possible to get back on track and and be able to do that. So Mm -hmm. uh, I'm really grateful for you sharing this with us. But tell us where we can get the book. And uh, I think it's just recently published, isn't it? So it is out Mm -hmm. there and people can get it. Um, how do they go yeah. about it?
1: <clears throat> yeah, it is out there. It is available on Amazon and Barnes and Noble, Google Play, and Apple. Um, and also you can get it on my website. My website is com.
0: Okay. And we'll have all this stuff in the in the show notes, but I think I mentioned it at the beginning, but we Tell us the the title again so that oh we sure. I have it right here it. we know that we're ordering the right one
1: it is one of the lucky ones
0: yeah it's a great title and thank you uh, it's a great story not a fun one but a but a great one and you know certainly again being impressed by those numbers uh from the National Coalition against domestic violence uh, mm-hmm. you know that's Obviously, there's a lot of it taking place that we don't know about, and certainly the strength that you've exhibited can certainly help many, many more people to uh, their best to to not perpetuate this and mm-hmm. you know how to. Add, is uh, is your website uh, revolving around that too, uh, or is it? A general website or what about the book
1: or what? It's a general website with um, books that I've written and how to contact me.
0: Okay, great. And again, we'll have all that information in the show notes. Uh, and I really want to thank you, Amanda, for sharing thank you. um, your story. Again, not one of the most fun ones that we've gone about, but, but perhaps one of the most productive ones in terms of helping people uh, with what is often too silent a problem uh, that stands in the way of of being able to live life enthusiastically so really grateful for you coming on the podcast thank you this ends another episode of rejuvenating with dr ron kaiser i hope that you learned a lot from the podcast and if you did I hope that you will download it, tell your friends about it, particularly friends that you suspect may may benefit from it. And just because of what's happening in their own lives, uh, please uh, download, rate, review the podcast, and uh, be sure to check on Amanda's book and visit her website. And then be back here next week when we'll have another interesting guest, one who's informative and leads his or her own life enthusiastically and can help us to become the best versions of ourselves. Until then, stay positive, stay safe, and we'll see you the next time.